Welcome to the Brand Boom Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Joe. On this episode, we have Melissa Gonzalez of Lioness Group. Melissa is a retail futurist and expert consultant in pop-up shops who has been awarded Design Retail 40 Under 40 for her work transforming retail environments. She will bring some deep knowledge on how pop-ups can benefit your brand, which brands should try them, and why pop-ups have become more popular. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Well, first of all, it's getting towards the end of 2017 for all of us here at retail and, you know, holiday seasons are coming up. I just want to kind of recap the year a little bit um, from your perspective. You know, you build a lot of pop-up shops. How many of them have you done so far in just uh, this year alone? Oh, wow. Um, I think we're, uh, we're close to nearing 20 this year. Great. And is that usually the average for the year or has it has there been a lot more this year? It comes in waves, you know. Um it's it's interesting because we just have brands that are staying longer and longer. Mm. So our role within each scope of work is adjusted a little bit. In the beginning a lot of brands did pop ups that were one week to one month long and now they're wanting to do three to six months and a good number transitioning to permanent. So our role becomes building community around the pop-ups as part of our scope of work. So, and what about, as I mentioned, it's coming up, you know, holiday seasons are coming up right now around the corner. Does that actually get busier for you and your team during during the holiday season? Yeah, pop-ups tend to be the busiest for us consistently each year in Q4. Um, That said, uh, we Last year, for example, Q1 was really, really busy, um, and was it was second to Q4, which was surprising to us. But I would say year over year, Q4 is the bulk of it. Um, but we physically get busy in summer preparing for fall. Now, um, just rewind a little bit and tell us, you know, the Brand Boom audience, whoever is listening out there, you know, why did you first become interested in Pop-Up? What, what is your background and why this? Sure, it was a little unexpected. I My background is I used to work on Wall Street. I worked in institutional equity sales. So I always loved the stories, but dug into the nitty and gritty of, of, of financials. Um, but while I was doing that, I was also hosting a TV show and producing indie films. And so my desire to be creative kind of overweighed everything. And I left Wall Street in 2009. Um, and to be honest, my goal then was to be a famous actress, uh, but I didn't really like auditioning, so that wasn't going to work. But I did um, produce a, a, a web series, and the person I um, did the pilot with, family owned real estate in Midtown Manhattan, and it was just serendipitous timing, and he said, we have real estate, do you want to experiment with us? And it was just that, you know, a time when I had a nest egg and could do it, and it just became a happy experiment that brought kind of my desire of being creative and bringing business to the table together. Um, and then over the years, it just, the industry itself really evolved. The consumer expectations evolved. Technology continued to, to kind of shape this changing landscape. And so it just kind of continued to self-feed itself as, as, as a growing business and something that really interested me and kept me on my toes and always being able to learn and experiment. And so that's kind of been my, uh, my path for the last eight years. And it's been keeping you 
interested this last eight years as well. It sounds it sounds like from what you're describing, it's been because of the changes in the industry and the landscape and 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 across the board. It's you have to kind of learn things as you go, and and you're getting excited about everything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a few sectors always interested me when I was on Wall Street, um, and technology is one of the top ones. And so I always kind of had an affinity for it and understanding it, and um, but also seeing how it shapes us and understanding that as as an individual kind of helps you relate to it. But but yes, in the beginning, we were doing pop-ups for brands who, you know, couldn't afford a long-term lease, and, and they were a lot of mom-and-pop shops, and they, they could go to, you know, Etsy or, or Shopify and launch a store. Um, but that's kind of like what their business was going to be. And over time, you saw ooh, this big shift happening where you had this huge um, growth in e-commerce, but then that became crowded and really expensive to compete, and people really coming back to understanding, okay, we do need physical, and then technology helping, you know, continuing to shape, well, what do consumers expect in physical? <laughs> and so that is just always kind of like a new puzzle uh, that we're solving and figuring out and, you know, um, and, and, and helping people rethink how they can create an experience and what can't I deliver online that I want to bring into the offline world and helping them figure all of that out. That's that's super interesting. And from all the eight years that you've been doing this, as you have seen the different changes in the retail industry and the marketplace, if you can kind of just you know um, from a from giving advice um, to to a brand from your perspective, what are some of the advantages you can say now when you talk to you know a potential client or anyone um, in terms of financial or otherwise um, in doing a pop up in conjunction. With with some of the other options that they can choose, like what you said, Etsy, Shopify, um, and like doing indirect sales and, and such. Sure. So I think financially, I mean, you don't have to commit to a long-term lease. So, you know, there's some, there's some um, protection on the downside, I guess, right? You know, kind of you've, you can put an actual like project budget together and know that that's what you're going to spend roughly. Um, when you sign a five to 10-year lease, there's a lot of unknowns to, to account for. Um, so there's that. But you know, there's an opportunity for really, really high-touch interaction and learning in a physical space that you just can't do online. And it's going to vary from product to product of, you know, what that encompasses. But for example, in the home category, um, we, we just launched a, um, a pop-up in partnership with General Growth Properties, the, the mall operator um, and property group. And to lay on a mattress isn't the same or something that you can ever compare to shopping it online. You know, so the e-commerce portion allows for a larger uh, footprint of distribution across the country and and easier fulfillment and all of that, but it it could never truly replace laying on that bed. And it can't compare to laying on that bed with a VR, um, you know, dream sequence of two minutes led by their brand ambassador, Michael Phelps, taking him through a dream journey, talking about all the layers of, of foam and feathers and this and that underneath them, right? So it's understanding, okay, you have an e-commerce site. On the back end, you can learn a lot of information of what that customer does, right? You you know what pages they go to, how long are they there, when do they add something to a cart, when do they abandon that cart, what are the kind of pain points maybe that you can solve in a physical space? And for um, a mattress, for example, getting them to lay on it is, is a really obvious one. Um, with, with apparel, it's getting them to try something on and, 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 and really trusting fit and then feeling more confident to order that later. It's also just hearing things. Um, you know, 
you can't hear what your customer is saying unless they're posting on socials or, or making a, you know, a comment on your website. But in a store, you can, you can really observe how somebody responds to your product um, after either speaking to a friend or speaking to the associate. Um, you know, is there something about it that they love uh, physically, but, but the, the price point's too high? Or did you add extra bells and whistles that you thought they'd pay up for, but then when you watch them in a space, they say, oh, I love this, but I would love it more if it was at X price point, and they really don't feel like paying extra for the extra strand of gold you put on it. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. So it sounds like it's a combination of um, the product that you're trying to sell, and also maybe where you're trying to sell it to, and, you know, and also the experience you want to to provide to the customers and also the feedback, right? That's what you are really going after, the feedback from the customer that you absolutely will not be able to get online otherwise. Mm-hmm. And it takes, you know, it takes an effort on there because sometimes the founder, especially if it's an emerging brand, will be able to run the store. But a lot of times that's not who's running it day to day. So there's training that really needs to happen on the brand side with their in-store staff so that you train them to make those observations. And, you you know, you empower them to say every day fill out a survey and get this these um, these points back to me and they can we can work as a team so I can better understand my customer and how to better serve them. Got it. And, you know, you did talk, uh, you know, quite a bit about these emerging brands. It sounds like, you know, you, you, you know, you worked with mom and pop shops, um, ranging from, you know, those type of brands and all the way to larger brands like Soul Society. So like how, how, how much is it um, for those mom and pop shops to what they need to invest in order to create a pop-up shop with you, for instance? Well, the, the kind of, um, most accessible uh, accessible entry point, I guess, to do a pop-up with us is in some of our partnership spaces, um, one of which is the one that I started with as an experiment in 2009. And, and those are more turnkey, and, and they're in partnership with the Roger Smith Hotel. So, you know, they, they don't, they're not looking to sign a long-term lease. They're there to have a revolving storefront that gives an opportunity to entrepreneurs, and it's also, you know, good equity for the hotel because they're always getting new eyeballs and foot traffic and media. So, that would be the most accessible accessible price point in New York City that I know of. So it's uh, the the space starts. There's three revolving storefronts next door to each other. One is uh, about 300 square feet. So it ends up being perfect for a single brand um, running the store themselves. Um, it's got the infrastructure you need. The hotel paint for you, and there's Wi-Fi and 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 alarm system and that kind of stuff. And so I would say the average investment for something like that is is about twenty thousand because we do it a month at a time, and that includes the rent, the decor, the staffing, um, and a lot of the times then you kind of do a little bit more grassroots marketing instead of putting money towards that. Um, so that that's kind of like a safe number to think about all in. That's great. And you did mention, you know, staffing. So you actually provide in-store staff training for most of the brands that you work with? We, we, we do um, offer that as an option on the statement of work. Uh, sometimes it's, most of the time it's in collaboration with the brand. So what we'll do is sit with them and think, okay, let's, let's understand what the um, layout of the store is going to be and what the SKUs are and what your goals are as far as sales conversions. And, and conversions really vary. Sometimes that conversion means capturing an email. Sometimes it means um, making a sale. So really understanding all of those needs and then figuring out, okay, what's the right mix? 
of staffers that you should have on a daily basis, um, and then, you know, what do you want them to be able to convey, and we work with them on the training manual, everything from operations to talking points, and then we'll be there to help co-run training, um, and we try to get brands to do it for at least two days. Uh, I would say that one of the top kind of underestimated areas of pop-ups is the amount of money and time a lot of the brands put towards in-store staff. So we try to push that they understand that, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time for them to be the next best thing to talk about their brand and really hone in on the fact that this is one of the most important touch points in the store. And so making sure they understand not just what the product is, but also why was the brand even started? You know, um, what makes it different? What's going to really build um, empathy with customers about the purpose of the brand? And then really also understand every single product and the frequently asked questions and all of that. And then just, again, the, the kind of um, things to watch for and, and, and empower them to feel like they're part of your business team and that they understand that a pop-up is a really public focus group and there's a ton you could be learning and making sure that they understand how to kind of gather that information and get it back to you. I love how you just said that it, a pop-up is really like a public focus group. I, you know, that 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 is how a lot of these brands should be looking at their pop-up stores. And, you know, it sounds like you're so hands-on with the process that you make sure that when they come out of this business partnership with you, when, you know, for doing the pop-up, that you're going to make sure that they're going to walk away with the data and the information that they're going to need um, to really evaluate, hey, what did I learn from this public focus group, Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there's the opportunity to integrate technology to complement all of that. Um, and so that's another thing we work on a lot with our clients is, like, really stepping back and assessing the goals and what does success mean and then understanding all the different uh, points um, of collection that are going to happen and how do you then sit back and really put all that information together and contextualize it and use it in a way that is going to help you make better decisions. Because the ROI is really qualitative and quantitative in a pop-up store. And so it's not just the sales you make uh, between the four walls while the pop-up's open. It's also all the things that you're going to learn to make help you make better marketing and merchandising decisions going forward. So we also work with them to say, okay, you know, you're going to collect sales from your POS. Um, do you have budget for sensor uh, at the door so we can capture how many people walk in? Um, do you have a bigger budget where we can also put other sensors so we can understand uh, paths within the store? Um, that wouldn't make as much sense maybe in 300 square feet, but if the store was, say, 4,000, that would be helpful. And then what do we, what do, what do dwell times are we seeing in different pockets of the store? Because then you can learn a lot of things to contextualize what actually happens in the store. For example, you might notice that a handful of products are selling like hotcakes and disproportionately higher than the rest of the store, but maybe it's because it's right by the window, right? And so do you move that towards the back to get people to come deeper into the store? You know, there's just a lot of things that you can do with merchandising um, and, and collecting data and experimenting in the store too. So we also work with our clients to think through that as well. So it's, it sounds like you would absolutely recommend a brand to do no less than one month, right, for a pop-up, just so they could actually get some data in and really learn from the experience altogether and, and all the way up to three months, right? Like that's the time frame that you would recommend as a minimum? Yes. 
we do because most of our clients are really doing these feasibility studies. I mean, we do have some clients that do pop-ups for, um, you know, a a new product launch or to test a partnership or really just for for marketing purposes, and those are different, and those tend to be brands that already have a pretty established following, and and those tend to be, like, four or five days and they're giving away free product and the bell curve of hitting your target market versus anybody who just wants free stuff happens pretty quickly. So we'll put that in one bucket. But for most of our clients, our sweet spot are brands that have proven concept at scale. They've raised money to go in brick and mortar, but they want to test and pop-ups before they sign those long-term leases. And so for that, yes, we recommend that you have, you know, three to six months if possible because then you're getting a full quarter of data and then you could really kind of dig into that later and understand, you know, if I do open a store, what worked, what didn't work, what staffing choices should I make, is this the right footprint for me, is this the right layout for me, um, what really moved the needle for marketing initiatives. There's just a lot more that you can really dig into and then make better decisions going forward. So if I'm a brand and I'm interested in opening a storefront in a specific you know, neighborhood in New York, let's say, for example, do I work with you to test a pop-up that is not, may not be the final location of yeah, my happens, actual store? Sure. Can I Okay. Sure. They, we've definitely seen people test markets that they decide, you know what, this doesn't make sense for me long term. We've seen some where the exact space that they've tested isn't where they go, but it is the neighborhood they stay in, and maybe they open a, a permanent space a block or two away, and it could just literally be a function of that landlord wasn't agreeable to the terms they wanted, or it didn't have all the infrastructural needs they realized that they needed. Got it. So in most cases, you know, it sounds like landlords would be open to someone coming in temporarily for a pop-up, um, you know, if just to test out the location to see whether or not they would become a long-term tenant, right? Yes. Got it. Yes, but the tricky part is a lot of landlords won't do sort of a first right of refusal on the lease, so it gets tricky because a brand does invest in the pop-up. You know, these days it's a, a, a higher bar um, of expectations when you open a pop-up. So so brands do still invest to make it really good, and especially if they're brands who've raised money to go into brick and mortar because they're trying to put their best foot forward in really presenting who they are as a brand to this new market. Uh, and then a landlord's not willing to put a first order refusal, so it gets tricky because the brand invests a lot and then decides, I love this space, I want to stay, but during the time of their pop-up, the landlord might have already been showing the space to other people and then it doesn't work. <laughs> so it's tricky. But yeah, I think that the the climate's definitely changed. Over the past year, I've had more inbounds than I've had over the past eight years of, of brokers and landlords saying, hey, we have space. Keep us in mind. Oh, great. Yeah, I was just about to touch that, uh, touch on that topic, which is, you know, the fact that there's all these major retailers closing down their doors, filing for bankruptcy. I'm walking down in Soho and there's so many vacant, you know, storefronts that are like, you know, call us. (laughs) So has that been working towards your advantage? And how 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 do you kind of think about this in terms of, you know, for for the landlords and then also for the brand, especially for, you know, the emergency? brands who who now might have a chance at getting into one of those like prime retail locations to kind of test their brands. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely become a lot more of an opportunity than it's been in the past. Trust me, years ago, we were begging <laughs> landlords and had to convince them so much, this is a great brand and this is what we're going to bring to the table. It's going to look beautiful. It's going to serve as a great showroom for you. We're going to get you so much press. Um, and then it's kind of because of that, it kind of skewed to 
much more established brands getting the opportunities because they could make those promises, right? They had a celebrity following. They had strong PR companies and, and everything like that. But now, um, you're, yes, you're seeing a larger um, spectrum uh, of brands having the opportunities now to really experiment and try to be on, you know, maybe Fifth Avenue or, or an area where they wouldn't have been able to have the opportunity to test just a year ago. So, Melissa, this is all amazing information. I just have to kind of ask, like, what type of demographic do you and your clients cater their pop-ups to? Is it more the millennials and younger shoppers or is it, you know, do you guys have something that you guys specialize in or what What do you see people respond to and who responds to what? It ranges, but I would say a lot of the times it ends up being more the millennial market that a lot of the brands kind of um, cater to, uh, the larger percentage that we work with, but I, I will say that I've seen it skew like to older millennial, um, Gen X. Got it. And, and there being a lot more acceptance of, of technology. I mean, I think that a lot of people think of the millennial and, and, um, Gen Z of, of they're the digital natives and they're the ones who get this. And, but I don't think that it's limited to that. I think that it's, it's how you deliver it. Um, and, and the experiences will need to differ a bit. But I think there's become a lot more of a massive adoption and openness to what technology can bring into your life. And, um, and I still think that across those three kind of generations, there's still a desire for physical just in different ways. That's super interesting because we have a lot of brands who are, you know, started by millennials and Gen X, you know, you know, maybe even Gen Z now, right? Because we're getting into that time frame. And, you know, I was just curious, you know, whether or not, you know, those type of brands and how they target those type of customers are working with you and how they've been doing. And it sounds like it sounds like the pop up and the physical touch of products and experience is still very relevant to that demographic. Very much so. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, and it'll depend on the product you're just you're you're presenting. You know, for example, I, I bring it up just because it fits this topic. But in an IRL uh, at, at Water Tower Place in Chicago, the store f- with with uh, my company and GGP, it's home products, and the price point's pretty healthy. You know, the average cart size is four to five hundred dollars in the store, um, and it's home goods. So you definitely see it skewed to more of that older millennial Gen X and, and even older in the space. And we have a variety of things. We, we have uh, ping pong, we have water rowers, um, we have mattresses and we have books and we have, but it, you know, it is, but it is a range of people who are just kind of, maybe they're newly married, starting their first home, or um, they're kind of looking for refreshes, but they have been so excited to have a destination to come and spend time and actually touch and feel product. And they all do the VR and they actually are really open to the technology that's in the space and they interact with it with no problem. Right. Um, but on the flip side, you know, we've definitely done a lot of pop-ups that are geared more to really just focusing on what are the Instagrammable moments because that's really going to be what gets millennials excited and Gen Z excited because they're a demographic of whatever they discover they want to share with the world because it's a little bit of how they define you know, who they are. The city that you put the pop-up in also has a lot to do with the demographic that it attracts, right? I'm, I'm assuming that in New York and, you know, in dense cities like um, San Francisco or LA, it's maybe a younger crowd depending on where specifically the pop-up is versus somewhere else in, in the States. Yeah, that's true. And also just, um, you know, the cities have different 
kind of pulses. So the benefit of New York City is it's so um, – it's not just relying on being destination-based, right? There's so much active foot traffic in, in, in all different neighborhoods that you don't have to just be relying on – we told everybody our address and they've been invited to come here. If you have something that, that looks interesting and there's people inside, like people will stumble upon in and that's a great benefit in the New York market. Whereas in Los Angeles, for example, it's much more destination based. So you kind of have to take a lot of that in consideration too. So do you recommend, you know, brands to try out New York city as, you know, one of the prime locations to test a pop-up or what are some other particular cities which you um, recommend? Yeah, I mean, New York is, is great, but it's not for everybody, um, especially a lot of brands, if they're not from New York and they feel like it's a crowded space, they think they could have a much more um, profitable uh, opportunity in some really strong secondary cities. So while New York is number one for us, because this is kind of our headquarters and, and there isn't a lot of opportunity for stores here, this year, we've definitely seen demand become a lot higher for some of those strong secondary cities. And Chicago and D.C. have come up a lot. Nashville has been a city where people have started to see a lot of success. Um, and then you see, like, Dallas come up and, and, and Boston a bit. So uh, I think it really depends on the brand. And, and the good part is that most of them are e-commerce first. So they have that starting point advantage of knowing where they're seeing traction online and where their traffic's coming from and really kind of try to look at that as figuring out, okay, where do I kind of put my pin on the map based on what traction I see from online audiences already. That's really amazing. Um, that's really that's really good to hear. It sounds like most of your um, work has been on the East Coast side and it's starting to kind of trickle down into the West, um, down all the way to Dallas. I, I was just actually in Nashville and I agree with you. The scene over there is very, it's a prime, it's a prime location for these new experiences to be happening, especially for retail, shopping, and, and something different um, from the past. So... Yeah, it's um. I actually had a call with a a a, a brand uh, earlier this week, and and he was clear that New York was definitely not on the radar. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it really depends on the strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Melissa, this this has been such a pleasure talking with you about all of this. I I just have one, you know, last questions to wrap up. If any of the brands that are listening to our podcast, if they're interested in working with you, um, in terms of like the timeline of how you know they get in contact with you and your team um, all the way up to actually getting a pop-up out the door. What is what does that time frame look like? It's a few months. I mean, I, if we get three months, we can be in good shape. And it'll really depend on how large the, the company is and its own corporate structure and all of that. So really, really large companies um, like a you know, a brand owned by a Cody or something, something like that, you know, you're talking about different timeline just because of their their internal infrastructure and, and ordering merchandise and all of that. So, but as far as um, actually like taking it to market, a lot of the times we have to work in that three month time frame because a landlord's not going to agree that much further in advance to take a space off the market and commit it to you short term. Got it. Got it. So we usually work as fast as possible where as soon as we start the conversation, we dive into the goals and really figuring out what's the story and all and, and as many kind of creative must-haves. And then we kind of go on hold for a little bit while we find the space so that as soon as we find the space, then we can take all of that creative and then retrofit it to the floor plan of, of the space you actually signed and then move as fast as possible securing everything. 
And, you know, a lot of our customers at Brandboom, you know, um, we are a wholesale platform. So they do a lot of wholesale and indirect sales where, you know, like retail stores are, you know, merchandising their product and selling it into the end consumer. Um, but I know that there's a lot of benefit for these brands to actually, you know, test out market in case they ever want to go brick and mortar. So for those brands that have not actually done brick and mortar themselves and has always done wholesale, you know, bulk orders, but they have really strong branding online and such like, but, you know, but like I said, they haven't done, you know, brick and mortar. Do you provide the technology to support them in doing the pop-up in that case, like to sell up all their products with the POS uh, and, and everything as well? We'll help, sure. Yeah, I mean, all of it will be purchased by them because they need to set it up with their bank account and tax ID and all of that. Mm-hmm. But sure, we'll walk them through that. And we have our we have our guides. We have a, um, a POS guide. We have a locations guide. We have a analytics guide. So once they sign on with us, we kind of go through all those guides and it charts out um, kind of based on this budget. These are the, the three that we might recommend based on your timeline, et cetera. And then we kind of walk through them with weighing out all those pros and cons of each and then helping them secure it. And then we might help them, depending on the scope of work, uh, train their staff on the POS systems. The good part is um, there's a lot of opportunities for kind of plug and play with Square and Shopify. And and so a lot of bringing in a POS system isn't, it isn't one of the hurdles. Uh, and it can happen pretty quickly. Great. Excellent. Yeah. Um, th- this has been amazing. I- I'm sure a lot of listeners who um, who are familiar with uh, Brand Boom um, today and who has been doing wholesale, who, who, who also has ideas about what would an actual retail experience look like in the brick and mortar situation after listening to Melissa's talk would, you know, be more inclined to explore this area a little bit more, especially in the wake of um, all of these larger brands closing down their doors, making the retail space vacant and available for Melissa to negotiate a better deal and and to work with, um, you know, emerging brands. So Melissa, is there anything else you would like our listeners to know about you and your team before we sign off here today? My biggest biggest piece of advice is always when you know you want to do a pop-up, make sure you understand why and make sure that you have a clear point of view on what your goals are going to be and that you understand what you would consider a success so that that should kind of guide the conversation of what kind of space you need, what story you're going to tell in the space, how you're going to merchandise it, but really starting with the goals and a target demo and, and, and helping that to inform you. Um, the other thing I'll say is is I have a book called The Pop-Up Paradigm, and it's a pretty easy read. Most people tell me that they read it in one or two days, and it's it's not necessarily a how-to book. It's it's some examples of how brands have done it depending on their goals and what their successes have been, and I think it could give um, some brands ideas. Great. And Melissa, do you have a favorite brand that you've worked with in the last, you know, year or two that you can share with us? So then our listeners could also go check out, you know, um, what you've done for them on your website or something. Sure. There's a number of brands that I loved for different reasons. Um, While it was three years ago, I'll always point out the Mark Jacobs tweet shop just because I think it was such a smart way for a brand to show to 
shoppers that they're accessible. Um, so the Mark Jacobs Tweet Shop is you paid with social currency. There were no dollars exchanged at hands. You went or you Instagrammed or, or put stuff on Facebook with a designated hashtag, and you showed the counter you did that, and that's how you paid for product. So um, but it was so smart of them to do it. So that's one that's in my book and on the site. Um, let's see. I, I really always love Lisa Dream Gallery um, because it's an example of a brand really communicating the larger purpose of their company, and it's not just about selling product. Their product with their profit for purpose, and for every ten beds they sell, um, they donate one to the homeless shelter. And they, you know, we work with them to really create events in the store throughout the month with like-minded brands. They've done talks with Charity Water, and they've had they they have art on the walls from a company called Art Lifting, and all of those artists are formerly homeless or disabled artists, and they make a portion of those sales. And just the kind of alignment of that, and when people come in and learn their story, they feel like they're part of something bigger. And I think they've done a great job of, of inviting people into being part of that initiative. Oh, that's amazing. So we can find all that information on your website under your portfolio, right? Absolutely. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today on our podcast. Great. Thank you so much. It's been great speaking with you today. That's the Brandon Podcast for today. If you liked the episode, please make sure to hit the subscribe button and share it with a friend. Visit us on SoundCloud for new episodes and go to brandon.com for show notes and more. I'm Amy Joe, and thanks again for listening.